0: So we are going to be mostly in two places in the Bible this morning. The first is Matthew 5, where we've been for the last four or so weeks. That is on page 472 in the blue Bibles in the seats next to you. And please, uh, we say this every week, but if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. Uh, If you know somebody who needs a Bible, take that one with you. The second place we're going to be is Luke chapter 14. We'll look at uh, another one of Jesus' parables in in that chapter. That's on page 509, if you want to bookmark that now. Okay, so Bobby's already done a really good job of setting this up, um, almost took most of my intro, <laughs> but we are picking back up in our series uh, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and also introducing Advent this week, so I'm going to try to weave in Advent themes as we go through this passage. Is this awkward for you guys to have this stand right here in front of me? <laughs> well, it is what it is. Okay, okay so last week uh, Bobby preached from Blessed are the Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Dave's going to help me out here. That's probably a little too far. <laughs> Good. Compromise. Thank you. Okay, so Bobby preached last week from Blessed Are the Meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what he taught us was that as we endure evil in this world, our tendency is to uh, flee or to fight, right? The, the fight or flight response. But Jesus brings a third way as we endure evil, and it's the way of meekness. Jesus modeled this way of uh, meekness at his first coming or his first advent. Born a child and yet a king, Jesus left the right hand of the Father. He left immeasurable riches riches to come to earth, to take on flesh, to hunger, and to thirst. And as his enemies beat him and spit on him and mocked him and hung him on a cross, He who knew no sin paid their sin so that they could know God. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is meekness, and blessed are those who have it. So this morning, then, we're going to look at the next beatitude, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I wanted to open uh, by stating my thesis, or rather, restating Jesus' thesis in this passage. Um, So this is the big idea. You're going to want to have a pencil to write this down. It is super insightful. It's basically exactly what Jesus says in this passage. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, and they will be satisfied. (laughs) Don't overcomplicate it. I learned that from Nate. So listen for that as we go through this text, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed and will be satisfied. I just need a couple more hands up here. Okay, so before we jump into the text, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, you are our good Father in heaven. God, you love us. You know our weakness. You know our lacking. And you didn't leave us in that state, God, but you sent your Son to take on human flesh, to empathize with our need, to hunger, and to thirst, and to die in our place for our sins so that we could be perfectly aligned with you and know you, God. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for your son, Jesus, and the opportunity we have this Advent season to, um, to remember his first coming and to look forward with eager anticipation to his return with where he will come and make everything new and finish the work he started in the first Advent God, I pray that you would bless your word as we look at it today, that you would apply it to our hearts, feed us by it, Lord. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this beatitude, just like the uh, three before it, opens with blessed. That's what the beatitudes are, are blessings. As Bobby set it up last week, this is Jesus giving us a vision for the good life uh, according to God. So we're going to stick with that definition this week uh, of blessed, but I did want to also add one bit of emphasis uh, to our definition of blessed. It's easy to hear these words of Jesus in these Beatitudes where he's saying, blessed are you because of some future hope or because of some future promise or future fulfillment. It's easy to hear those words and think, okay, well, my uh, satisfaction or uh, my inheriting the earth is, is some future hope that I'm waiting for. And in the meantime, I just wait. And life is miserable as I wait for this future hope, for this thing to be satisfied, right? Um, that's something that I believed in my 20s. And if you have not uh, encountered that yet, one of the great things about being a part of a church or a body of believers is that there are lots of people who've made lots of mistakes and believed really terrible things. Amen and you have the opportunity to learn from those. So this is one of uh, my mistakes from my 20s and it's caused me a lot of grief. Um, When I was faced with all the big life decisions every 20 some year old is faced with, like what to study in college, uh, what career path to choose, because as we know, you only get one chance to choose your career path. There's no going back. Uh, As I faced those decisions, my, my understanding was this is, this is not my kingdom. My hope is a future hope, so I shouldn't expect to enjoy anything while I'm here, right? So as I'm, I'm trying to make these decisions, my default was to say, okay, what's the most difficult option on the table? What's the thing I least want to do? Because that's obviously the thing that God would have me do, okay? That's a wrong belief. <clears throat> if you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and genuinely looking for your satisfaction in Jesus— God has set a feast of righteousness for you here and now. Blessed now are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more later. But as we work through this beatitude, I want you to hold on to that idea of the already blessing in this beatitude, as well as the not yet satisfaction. So there's the already blessing, the not yet satisfaction. Okay, so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we talked about blessed. Um, I'm going to skip over hunger for now and open with uh, unpacking righteousness because it makes hungering make uh, more sense. Okay, so uh, just to define righteousness for you, righteousness is being brought into perfect alignment with God. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying blessed are those who long to be brought into perfect alignment with God. uh, One common definition or common application of this uh, definition of righteousness Is this idea of um, us being made right before God from a judicial uh, view It's the idea of being made morally acceptable to God So Jesus came to earth and he uh, lived the life that I should have lived Died the death that I should have died Paid the price for my sins um, So now I have right standing with God I'm no longer guilty before God That is absolutely true And an important thing to believe. Uh, In fact, the Spanish word for righteousness, as Nate uh, enlightened me on, is justicia. So there's this notion of justice uh, built into this uh, idea of righteousness. So justice, right standing before a judge, right? God has given us his law. He's given us his standard. And we failed and failed and failed to uphold it. We don't have righteousness, which is why we long for it. And God can't let that go. If He's going to remain perfectly just, and He is, God has to address our unrighteousness. So, yes, in one sense, Jesus is referring to our right standing before God when He's talking about righteousness. Those who long to be right with God in Jesus will be satisfied. The way we get that right standing, as Kent talked about a couple weeks ago, is we come to God with our nothing, we come to Him in our lack, in our poverty. We bring nothing but sin and guilt, and we get Jesus right standing before God. So I would take it a step further to say that we do have one thing to bring uh, to that transaction, and that's a hunger to be made right before God. The good news is that hunger is also given by God, so it's not something we have to muster up. Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the law that we could not uphold. He took our sin and paid for it on the cross In what's known as uh, the great exchange We bring our sin and guilt And we get Jesus' righteousness We get his right standing before God God's wrath against our unrighteousness Is perfectly satisfied in Jesus on the cross Jesus is our satisfaction Okay, so On the one hand you have righteousness uh, In this vertical relationship between us and God In Jesus we are made right before God but that's not all that Jesus means by righteousness. This justice runs along two axes. The first is vertical, us and God. The second is horizontal, us and each other and the world around us. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying, blessed are those who hunger for everything to be perfectly aligned with God. So that uh, kind of blows out our view of righteousness, and it extends it from uh, just I'm made right before God and Jesus to I'm made right before God and Jesus and God is making all things right through Jesus. Okay. So that helps, but that doesn't quite get us all the way to what God's talking about here when he's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. will rehydrate and then I'll get us to the next part. We're going to be in Matthew 5 for this part, but a little bit farther down. <clears throat> so Jesus helps us get a clearer picture of what he means by righteousness um, later on in the Sermon on the Mount. And just a Bible study tip, when you're reading the Word of God and um, trying to understand it, trying to unpack it, looking for uh, nuance, use the Word of God to help you with that. Let the Word interpret itself. That's what we see Jesus doing here later in this passage. Uh, it's it's going to be Matthew 5.20. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, giving the sermon in Galilee, And it's important for us to know this morning that there are two types of Jews in Galilee. One we've talked about quite a bit. um, you probably heard about quite a bit. The scribes and Pharisees. These are um, kind of old traditional Jews. They love the law. They love pursuing the law and studying the law and obeying the law. uh, And lording it over that they're awesome at upholding the law. So that's one group of Jews. The other group of Jews are the Galileans. Um, They're basically a mixed bag of folks that have come into Jewish culture. And they've they've embraced their Jewish identity, and they're zealous for it. But they're not as big on keeping the law. And so the Pharisees view the Galileans as sort of lesser Jews um, that aren't as awesome at upholding God's law. So that's who Jesus is speaking to here. Um, So let's read Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus talking to Pharisees who love the law and who have established their righteousness themselves in their own minds uh, in their ability to uphold this law. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So how how might that have sounded to the Pharisees? Probably not great, right? Jesus is saying, uh, in all your proud striving to fulfill the law... Without a righteousness that exceeds this, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Likewise, how might this have sounded to the Galileans? They've already got the Pharisees breathing down their backs about their inability to uphold the law and their lack of zeal for God's law. And now Jesus? This is an impossible burden. And then Jesus ups the ante. He goes into a commentary on the law, the Ten Commandments, and other laws given by Moses, um, if you continue on in that passage, uh, and he kicks it up his notch, as Emeril likes to say. So let's read uh, verse 22 for an example here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, this is Jesus citing the law, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now the Pharisees know this one, uh, they've got this one in their binder. Um, but Jesus continues, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I just picture the Pharisees scrambling around their papers and looking, hey, did you have that noted down? I didn't have that. Um, They're here to hear Jesus because he's gotten a reputation as a teacher of the law. Um, He was never formally schooled in it, but uh, at a young age was in the synagogues teaching the law. So the Pharisees are here to hear this great teacher of the law. But the point that they miss is this is God himself interpreting and implying applying the law and they don't measure up anymore and then jesus brings it home with verse 48 you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect so if it wasn't clear five minutes ago that the the pharisees do not uh, make the cut jesus brings it home by saying you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect So Jesus' aim in bringing us righteousness is to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect so that we can enjoy perfect fellowship with Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes this ministry of Jesus as a ministry of righteousness. Jesus bringing His righteousness. And I wanted to just kind of read through that uh, quickly for us. Bobby, could you give me an idea on time? I did not start a timer. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Sounds like free license to just <laughs> jam up here. Okay, this is uh, Paul from 2 Corinthians 3. I don't have the page number if somebody happened to turn there in the blue Bible. 64? 564. Yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> 561. Okay, this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 5. So this is Paul describing Jesus' ministry of righteousness and contrasting it against uh, the ministry of the old covenant or the ministry of the law, which the Pharisees are stuck on, um, which he calls the ministry of death. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, the letter of the law, But the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. He goes on to say that basically the uh, the old covenant has no glory in comparison to the the new covenant that Jesus brings, um, which is uh, ministry of righteousness. So skipping down to verse 14, but there, the meaning the Israelites, their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this is where it gets good for us this morning. And we all, with unveiled face, meaning we have a veil of sin over our faces, we do not see God as glorious. We don't see his law and his word and his ways as glorious. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we behold the glory of the Lord, Jesus is uh, transforming us into that same image, into the likeness of God. Jesus' aim in bringing us righteousness is to make us perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect from one degree of glory to the next. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So God has made his will known in the world and in his word. And because of our hardness of heart, we can't see it. We don't see it as glorious. But when when we come to Jesus confessing our sin, confessing our desperate need for a savior, he removes that veil. Instead of leaving God's will and God's law written on tablets of stone, Jesus gives us a new heart and writes God's law on our hearts. When we get Jesus' righteousness in exchange for our sin, he gives us a new heart, a heart that is aligned with God's. So again, this goes back to our uh, definition of uh, righteousness being aligned perfectly with God. It starts with us exchanging our sin and guilt for new hearts, hearts of flesh that God has written his word and his will and his law on. So there wouldn't be a not yet promise in this beatitude if that was the end of the story, right? If uh, God gave us a new heart And we were perfectly aligned with God So really He's just beginning this work of restoration um, So when he, gives, when he gives us a new heart He begins the work of reconciling us to God I do want to emphasize that uh, When we exchange our guilt uh, For Jesus' righteousness We are made right before God that's, that's a done deal Before God we're judged righteousness But we're not yet perfected and so that work really begins the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus is doing in our hearts. And that's where the longing comes in. Jesus has given us this new heart that now aligns with God's will and God's desires. Increasingly so, but we're still stuck in bodies of sin, still stuck in a war against our flesh and against our old desires and in a world that's marred by sin. And so we long for Jesus to come and to satisfy it Perfectly. Okay, so that's righteousness uh, that Jesus is getting at when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So now let's go back and look at hunger and thirst. So Jesus here is using very visceral language. And frankly, it's going to be hard for us to hear it the way that he intended it to be heard. Um, if, so, for example, if I were to illustrate hungering and thirsting, the best I could possibly do is, there was this one time where I ran out the door late for work and forgot to eat breakfast. And by 11 o'clock, I was famished. That is not what Jesus is going for when he's saying hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The reason it's difficult for us to hear it the way Jesus intended here is because we don't do well living with want. I don't know everybody's uh, financial position in this room, but Nate hit on this a little bit with his uh, sermon on generosity. We have unprecedented access to the pleasures of this world as 21st century Americans. And we don't often... Live with deep desires. Um, when we want something, we typically satisfy that need. So hungering then is an uncomfortable feeling, which we don't like. Again, if we're looking, uh, if we're looking for the Joel Osteen promise here, Jesus isn't going to give it. The Christian life, while it is rich and full and abundant and not miserable, as I hit on earlier, it is marked by an, ach- an aching for things to be the, um, that aren't not, that are not yet. So, like we saw in the previous uh, Beatitudes, this Beatitude really gets at this idea of lack. It's a hunger. It's, um, we hunger for righteousness because we don't have it. If we already had it, we wouldn't hunger for it. So, not only do we not have it, but we also desire it. And that's, uh, give, that desire is given to us by Jesus. So, God says in his word that he's written eternity on our hearts. That's scene when he, he writes the law on our hearts, he writes... Um, eternity on our hearts. He stirs in us a desire um, for eternal things, for things that last, for things that are right. And Augustine has said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. Jesus says, blessed are you if you feel this restlessness. So this kind of desperate longing that Jesus is after in this passage should affect the way we live our lives. It should be a governing force for how we live uh, day to day. So, as I was thinking about that, uh, the best I could do for an illustration was to think about kids. Now, I will say that God saw fit for whatever reason to give me kids that like to eat. So, this isn't so much a problem in my house, but if you spent any amount of time around little kids, you know that oftentimes it takes some convincing to get them to sit still long enough to take a few bites. Kids want to play, they want to imagine, they want to run around and be crazy, they want to do what they want to do. That's how kids are wired. And we are so often like kids when it comes to uh, coming to Jesus' table. We get overwhelmed with the burdens of life, or we get enamored with the pleasures of this world, and we just don't want to come to Jesus' table. Not only do we not want to come to the table, we certainly don't want to help prepare the meal or clean up after. <laughs> kids want to do what they want to do. So do we. We just want to do our job We just want to do our hobbies, we just want to hang out, we want to watch our shows, we want to scroll through Facebook, and oftentimes we just don't want to come to Jesus' table. So to illustrate this point, this is where uh, we're going to move over to Luke chapter 14. I think that was page 509. Yeah, page 509. So to illustrate that point, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told, um, Again to some Pharisees So remember our context from earlier About Pharisees and the Galileans So in this passage Jesus has been invited to dinner By one of the leaders Or one of the rulers of the Pharisees And the Pharisees love this stuff They know Jesus has a reputation As being a good teacher And so they throw a big party And they invite everybody That they want to impress um, Everybody that they want to see Hey Jesus is coming to my party And here's what Jesus had to say. This is uh, starting in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors or all the people you want to impress, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this guy clearly missed the point. So Jesus makes it more explicit in the next passage. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus wants to set a feast of righteousness, and the invitation is open. Why did the men who were originally invited not come? They didn't come because they weren't hungry. They were satisfied in the righteousness that they had earned in their own eyes by fulfilling the law. They weren't hungry. They had other things to do. Why did the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame come? Because they're hungry, right? They feel the brokenness of this world in a way the Pharisees did not. They feel their lack. And they want it to be made right. And Jesus offers them a feast of righteousness, and they come. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So we're going to look now at the last part of uh, this beatitude, namely our satisfaction. So far we've seen that righteousness is right standing with God. It's also right standing with each other. We can't be in right standing with God and not in right standing with our neighbor. So in bringing righteousness, Jesus intends to align our hearts with God's. We have seen that those who long for it are blessed now and will be satisfied when Jesus comes back to complete his work. And we've seen that there are lots of things working against our finding our satisfaction in Jesus. So how can we trust Jesus with this promise that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied? On what authority can he promise that those longings will be be met? So there are two things I wanted to touch on here this morning. First, Jesus can promise that our desire for righteousness will be satisfied because he's experienced it. Jesus isn't perfect in the sense that he never suffered and can't empathize with our longings for things to be made right. It's the reason he left the Father and went to the cross. Having enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit since eternity past, Jesus left heaven. He took on flesh, and he hungered. In Matthew 4, just before we get to the Beatitudes, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days, being tested by Satan. And at the end of his 40 days, he says, I hunger. This is God. Having taken on flesh, as Bobby mentioned earlier, condescended, he came down, and he entered into our suffering. And after having not eaten for 40 days, he said, I hunger. Satan came to him and said, well, you're God. Turn these stones into bread and and eat. Jesus responded, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus also thirsted when he was on the cross, giving us his righteousness. He called out and said, I thirst. So he experienced the worst of this world, literally all the sin. And he's now back in heaven. He knows that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied because he's experienced it. He's experiencing, he has experienced separation from God on the cross, and a longing for things to be made right. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, satisfied. So we can believe Jesus' promise here that we'll be satisfied because Jesus has experienced it. He knows our longing, and he knows the satisfaction that comes with God. I don't know about this feedback I'm getting over here, so I'm just going to stay put. Um, Okay, so I I did want to also share... uh, Just some words to one of my favorite Christmas hymns. Bobby did it earlier, so I figure I can do it now. Uh, This is from Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. So, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. In the second verse, um, which really hits home, this idea that Jesus knows our longing and knows what it is to be satisfied. Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. By his life, he brings us gladness. Our redeemer, shepherd, friend. Leaving riches without number, born within a cattle stall. This, the everlasting wonder. Christ was born. Lord of all. So Jesus came to earth to taste our sadness and he tells us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that's one sense in which we can believe that Jesus uh, I believe Jesus promised here that we will be satisfied as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. More to the point though, Jesus is God. He is himself our satisfaction. So he can promise these things because he, he is the answer to it. So knowing that Jesus loves us and in his great mercy has assured us that those who uh, will be blessed who long to be made right with Christ. How then shall we live? Uh, I have a couple points I want to hit on here. We're going to look at a couple things we should believe and then a couple things we should do uh, and that will be it. Sorry. I'm going to go back and hit my just in case I lost anybody. So remember at the beginning the big idea Jesus' big idea, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed and will be satisfied, right? And then our definition of righteousness is being brought into perfect alignment with God. So Jesus came to give us righteousness so that we could be made like God. Okay. So what, what should we believe from this text? Well, Jesus taught us that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. So let's believe that. Let's believe that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, It's appropriate for you to feel the weight of your sin and the discord in the world around you and to long for things to be made right. That's the tension of your heart coming into alignment with God's. Secondly, let's believe that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. In part now, as Jesus works in us likeness with God and we go from glory to glory and perfectly when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, which is govern our desires, reign them in so they align with your desires. By thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. So that's where we're going when Jesus comes back. We're going to be with God, with Jesus, perfect fellowship, made righteous. Um, Because of Jesus. So, what if you don't feel this hunger? What if I don't feel this hunger? What if I've never felt it or I used to feel it and I no longer feel it? So, first, I would say uh, if you don't feel this hunger for righteousness, this longing to be made right before God and for the things in this world to be made right, and that distresses you, this promise is for you because that distress is a hunger. You desire to hunger for the things of God And God will honor that That is his seed that he's planted in your heart So this promise is for you If you don't feel this longing for righteousness But you long to If you don't feel it at all Ask God to give it to you Ask him to help you taste and see that the Lord is good So Thomas Watson uh, Has a couple of helpful application points on this um, Ways that we can sort of cultivate uh, A hunger for righteousness so first, do things that make you hungry. Right? One way that we can cultivate hunger is to do things that make us hungry. So develop a taste for righteousness. The way we do that is by spiritual disciplines. Read God's word. Feast on God's word. Develop a taste for God's word and for, for the things of God. Spend time with other people doing that, praying to God, aligning your heart to God. Cultivate uh, a taste for righteousness. Secondly, exercise makes you hungry. So work up an appetite, serving people. Uh, The flip side to that is avoid things which hinder spiritual hunger. So Thomas Watson calls these windy things, windy as in wind, uh, which fill your belly, leaving no room for righteousness. So the idea he's after here is a puffed up sense of self, right? These things will blunt our hunger for righteousness. Uh, he also goes on to talk about uh, feeding immoderately upon sweet and luscious delights of the world. So if we get so caught up in the things of the world, we get so caught up in uh, what's right in front of us, we begin to blunt our desire for the things um, that are coming for us. Okay, So having gone through uh, what we ought to believe, believe that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, and believe that they will be satisfied, that leads us into the do. So what do we do? By grace, through faith, we pursue righteousness. That's why Jesus came. His ministry, as Paul said, is a ministry of righteousness. So we we join him in that ministry. Jesus came to make things right with God. The first advent has come. He fulfilled the law and the old covenant. How much more glorious is this ministry of righteousness? And this ministry of righteousness that Jesus is working in the world now will be fulfilled by something even more glorious when Jesus returns and completes the work. Glory to glory. So our ministry is also a ministry of righteousness or making things right with God. So the call to action today is for us to set a feast of righteousness and invite everyone. Remember the passage in Luke where Jesus is setting a banquet and inviting everyone. He says, Call in all the the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And his servant says, I've already done that. There's still room. And Jesus says, go out to the highways and hedges. Go to the farthest of fields. Call everybody so that my house may be filled. Let's join Jesus in that work now by setting a feast of righteousness and inviting people into it. So that's the sense in which I said at the very beginning that uh, I had some wrong ideas about the way God operates. Um, This is how Jesus meets our hunger and thirst for righteousness now is that through Jesus in his church we set that feast of righteousness. It's tangible. It's here. It's available to us now. Look at the feast God has given us in the church. God has given us each other. Spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters, spiritual mothers, and spiritual fathers, and all the wonderful kids here at Soma Northwest. Candace and I got our start at Uh, Soma Northwest about four years ago In the Dunleavy's MC And I just remember going to their MC Uh, One of the first things Nate would do before we kind of kicked off discussion And things would uh, He'd group all the kids up uh, Get them all together and we would sit down And the kids would take turns reading The passage we were going to discuss This is you guys And it's a really precious memory to me Um So these kids would just read God's Word together. They would feast on God's Word. And then Nate would lead them through some questions. And they had the most insightful answers. I left with my tank full every week from MC. Mostly from the first ten minutes of the group watching the kids read and discuss and be fed from God's Word. Um, I don't know if you guys have met Drew and Hannah Hanson. But they're also uh, preparing a Feast of Righteousness for us here in our church they are working hard to feed the kids and Soma kids um, from God's Word, training and equipping the volunteers uh, to lay that feast out for our kids every week. Tamise, Ben, David, the musicians, vocalists, uh, are doing this work to prepare this Feast of Righteousness for us in the, the music um, that they prepare. And there's a lot of work that goes on in, in that. So what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of work going on in the Soma kitchen. The world is a hard place. There's a lot of bad all around us, and frankly, there's a lot of bad inside of us. But in the midst of that, God has set us a table. So look at the spread. It's just a foretaste. Our view of His glory is still veiled. This is the feast. Uh, yeah, sorry. This is the feast of righteousness I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, not only is this a foretaste; it's not even the main course. Jesus is the bread of life, and we'll be satisfied by His perfect presence in glory. So this is why we do the things that we do as a body of believers It's to set a feast of righteousness and to invite others in This is why every week we meet in each other's homes and missional communities uh, Like the Dunleavy's have been doing for four plus years now Feasting on God's word, praying for one another And reminding each other of the already not yet hope that we have in Jesus This is also why we refer to our members as covenant members We were members together of this new covenant that Jesus bought with his blood And we're committed to a ministry of righteousness. And this is why we share this meal we call communion every Sunday when we gather. In sharing communion, we remember that Jesus paid for this new covenant with his blood. And he did it in order that, uh, Hebrews 13, to equip us with everything good that we may do his will, setting a feast of righteousness. Working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, aligning us with God through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is a meal that we celebrate every week uh, as those who have hungered and thirsted for righteousness and have been led to the feet of Jesus and have been satisfied. So if you're a Christian, uh, you found your satisfaction in Jesus, we invite you this morning to join us by tearing off a piece of the bread and dipping it in the cup and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. If you've not yet confessed your need for a Savior and put your trust by grace through faith in Jesus' saving work on the cross, the invitation is to look around you and to see the Feast of Righteousness that's available to those who come to Jesus hungry. Come and talk to someone about what it means uh, to get an invitation to the feast. I'm going to pray for us and then we will partake of this meal together. Father God, again, we thank you for your word that you feed us by it. We thank you for your son whose body was broken for us and whose blood was shed for us so that we could be made right with you. And not only that, God, but that we would be given new hearts, hearts that are in line with your heart,